pray together as we come to God's Word. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come this morning uh, for different reasons. Some of us uh, come to remember, remember those who we have lost, who we love dearly. Some of us come to give thanks that we can meet in freedom. Uh, but we've all come now to your Word, and we ask you to speak to us, speak personally into our lives, speak of the Lord Jesus, speak of love and truth, that we might come to know him for his name's sake. Amen. War, what is it good for? Now, if you're like me and you're born in the 1970s, you remember Frankie Goes to Hollywood in 1984. It was a cover, in fact. Absolutely nothing. But it was also the, the question that my 10-year-old daughter was asked to ask my mother um, uh, about the war. What is war good for? And Fionn came home. She asked my mum. And we got chatting. Apparently, in the Second World War, it was good for the health of our nation. Rationing, far fewer sweeties and cheese and butter, the nation became more healthy. It was obviously very good for community spirit. People in adversity come together to support, to care for one another. It was a time when medical technology improved in both world wars. And it was both were a time when women's rights and women's opportunities in the workplace greatly increased. But what I guess most of us would say this morning, if we had to find something that was good about war, we'd say, well, we fight wars to, to maintain our freedom. Our freedom in the Second World War for Great Britain from Nazi Germany. Our freedom in Western Europe. I dare even to say freedom for the people of Germany themselves so that they didn't have to live under the Third Reich. Maybe even as Japan came into the war, what was being fought for was global freedom. And we prize our freedom very highly. I think it's probably the thing that we take as the greatest moral value in our culture, our freedom, the freedom to believe what we want, to say what we want, to do what we want, to vote for the government that we want, to join in and protest in the way we want. I want to be free. Now, at the heart of that, the Bible passage we just heard is the issue of freedom. How can you have true freedom? What is true freedom? I wonder if you saw what Jesus said in verse 36 of our Bible reading. Let me read it to you again. He said, so if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. That's quite a claim. Jesus Christ says, you need to be set free by me. True freedom is only found in me, says Jesus. And so I just want to look at two things this passage throws up as to why that's the case. Here's the first thing to see from these verses, that without Jesus, we will die in our sins. Without Jesus, we will die in our sins. That's uh, Jesus' verdict on the people he's speaking to. It came in verse 21. Let, let me read you verse 23 again. He says to them, you are from below and I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Now, I don't know what you make of that word sin. We don't tend to use it much these days. It's a Bible word, and it's a Bible word for the heart of what is wrong with our world. The Bible says that all conflict comes from sin. The conflict between nations. Sadly, the conflict between people in personal relationship comes from our sin within us. Even the conflicts 
within our own hearts, that, that aching yearning for, for what we want that we just can't get that won't go away comes from sin. And most seriously, our conflict with God, the fact that we're at war with Him. Because at the heart of sin is the attitude that says to the loving God who has made us, the loving God who simply calls us to love each other as we love ourselves, we wouldn't be here this morning, would we, for this type of service if humanity had pulled that off, to love each other as we love ourselves. That God we have chosen to reject. Humanity said that we do not want to love him or love each other. No, the world will be a better place if I love myself first, if my love is turned in on me. And funnily enough, in a world full of people who want to get what I want, well, not everyone gets what they want. And we fight for it. We fight each other. We sometimes even fight the people we love the most. And it breaks our hearts, and it breaks theirs, it actually breaks God's heart as well, a world full of sin. And Jesus says, that's the way you live, and without me, that's the way you're going to die. And the incredible thing is he's saying that to some of the most religious people of his day. They're described as Pharisees. They're the, the Bible scholars of Jesus' day, yet they're not interested in him. I look how they react to a, the fantastic promise that started our Bible reading in verse 12. Jesus speaks again to the people. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I mean, we live in a world of darkness, don't we? Not, not just the nights are closing in. Not just there are certain areas of London that we wouldn't walk through because of our fear of knife crime. Not, not just that the political situation seems to be overwhelmingly negative but because we know our own lives are littered with darkness, with pain, with grief, with loss, with guilt, with shame. I know there are things I've, I've said, I've thought, I've done this week that I'm very glad you don't know this morning. We live in a world of darkness. And Jesus wonderfully says, I've come as the light. I've come to bring relief from the darkness. It's for anyone, whoever follows me, he says, it's for any time. They will never walk in darkness. They'll have the light of life. And how do the Jewish religious leaders respond? They, they say, verse 13, well, we don't know who you are. You keep making all these big claims about yourself. You're the light of the world, are you? I mean, who are you going to get to back you up? And Jesus goes on to say, well, well God backs me up. He's my Father in heaven. He, he sent me. So what do they do? They, they question Jesus' parentage. That's what they do in verse 19. They say, where is your father? I mean, we hear something about a bit of a miraculous birth, Jesus. A bit of a question about when conception happened. I mean, are you sure you're from God? You see, these religious leaders, they can only see Jesus the man. You know, you know how Prince William used to fly helicopters uh, in North Wales, uh, rescue helicopters? Apparently, when he was doing that, there was an increasing number of young women who used to go and walk in dangerous places in Snowdonia. But, but can, you, can you imagine that, that, that you were caught out, maybe you twisted a leg, you're in a, a T-shirt and shorts, and the rain starts to come down. Apparently, rarely, that happens in Wales. The rain starts to come down, you're cold, the call goes out. There is the future heir to the throne sitting in RAF Anglesey with his mug of tea watching his favorite telly show. 
And in, in comes the call, scramble, scramble, scramble. He puts down his tea, he runs out to the helicopter, he gets in, they fly buffeted by the storm to rescue you. It's, it's a dangerous situation, they find you on the ledge, the spotlight picks you out. And William himself is lowered down on the cable and he comes and he says, oh, I've come to rescue you. Can you imagine turning around and saying, who are you? I don't know you, clear off, I'm fine. Because that's what these Jewish religious leaders are doing. They live in a world of darkness. Their lives are a mess. The Son of God comes to rescue them. They go, who are you? <laughs> we don't need you. We're fine, thanks very much indeed. Look at their question, verse 25. That's what they say. Who are you, they asked. And Jesus replies, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I've not, not been hiding myself, says Jesus. God doesn't hide himself from us. He hasn't done that in John's Gospel so far. In, in chapter 2, he turned 160 gallons of water into wine. In chapter 5, there was an invalid who'd been invalid for 38 years, and Jesus healed him. In chapter 6, 5,000 men, probably 20,000 people, are fed with a small picnic. Jesus says, I've been telling you who I am. I'm not hiding myself from you. But you just won't believe. You're not willing to look at the evidence. If, if you're not yet someone who's a Christian here this morning, please will you look at the evidence? The Son of God is not hiding himself from you. He has come for you. Will, will you take some time to look at the evidence? Because when you do, you see the most wonderful thing, that, that the heart of his rescue mission is dealing with your sin. Uh, look what he says in, in verse 28. Look what Jesus says. He says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and I do nothing on my own, but speak just what my Father has taught me. He says, when you lift me up on the cross, when you put me to death, that's when you'll see how incredible the love of God my Father is. That's when you'll see that I'm, I'm only doing what He wants me to do. You see, that's the extraordinary thing, that that at the heart of Jesus' mission is to come and die for the people who've chosen to reject him, to ignore him. And that's where we see him most clearly. In John's Gospel, it's described as his hour. It comes in our Bible reading. In, in verse 20, Jesus is described as his hour not yet coming. His hour comes at the cross. On uh, June the 18th, 1940, after the Dunkirk rescue mission, Winston Churchill spoke in the, the House of Commons and he said that this time was the darkest hour in French history. And he was right, wasn't he? It was a time of terrible defeat at the, the forces of evil. And for many people, that's all they see as Jesus dies. They see an innocent man, a good teacher, a terrible defeat at the forces of evil. But famously, at the end of that same speech, Churchill went on to, to talk about the stand that Great Britain, at that stage, on its own, was going to take against Nazi Germany. And he said, Let us therefore brace ourselves to our duties, and so bear ourselves that, if the British Empire and its Commonwealth last for a thousand years, men will still say, this was their finest hour. 
And that's what the cross is for the Lord Jesus Christ. It is his finest hour. As he deliberately takes upon himself all that our sin deserves. As out of love for his Father in heaven and out of love for us, he chooses to bear the mess we've made of our lives and the righteous anger of God himself so we can know the freedom of our sins forgiven, the certainty that we're loved by God today and every day. And later in, in John's Gospel, Jesus is going to say something that we, we often quote on Remembrance Sunday. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And that's what Jesus does at the cross. You see, you'll know who Jesus is when you see him dying for you. I grew up going to church quite a bit. I was quite a, a religious kid. Uh, you didn't have to tell me Jesus Christ existed. You didn't have to tell me Jesus do died on the cross. But, but it wasn't until God opened my eyes in a, in a talk from the Bible, and I saw that Jesus didn't just die on the cross, but Jesus died on the cross for me, that I then came to know God that I then came to see who Jesus is. See, if we don't see our personal need for the death of Jesus, Jesus says we will die in our sins. And I think that's the difference about the two ways people are talked about believing in this passage. You see, there are some Jews who, who believe in him in verse 31, but Jesus then goes on to be very critical of them. Because that's the second thing we need to see. You see, the first thing we need to see is, without Jesus, we will die in our sins. But here's the second thing. If we see that we need Jesus, with Jesus, we will have freedom as children of God. With Jesus, you can have freedom today as a child of God. Look at, look at verse 31 with me, that, that Bible reading. To the Jews who'd believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching." You are really my disciples. If my words become the very, the very center of your life, if, if they become the essence that you live by, says Jesus, then, then he goes on, verse 32, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, they've instantly got a problem with this, because they think they are free. They say, verse 33, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say we'll be set free? Now, Abraham was the forefather of the Jewish nation, and they clearly have forgotten their history because it was a history of being in slavery. 400 years in slavery under Pharaoh in Egypt before God rescued them through Moses. In effective slavery in exile in Babylon before God got them sent back home. And even as they say these words, at that time they're under Roman rule. This is a people who are constantly in slavery and constantly having to be bailed out by God. But would they deny it? I, I guess I mean, maybe we'd be like that this morning. Maybe if I say to you, you're a slave, you say, no, I'm not. <laughs> I live in the United Kingdom. We, we have one of the, the freest societies in the world. What do you mean I'm a slave? I'm free. I don't live in North Korea. But the problem is, Jesus says that political slavery isn't our real issue. He, he says this in verse 34. Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. In other words, we just can't stop living for ourselves. We just can't stop rejecting God. We can't be the people we want to be. 
let alone the people that we ought to be. We're trapped. We're slaves to our sin. In uh, 1941, Franklin D. Roosevelt, the American president, spoke to Congress, partially about why they were entering the war. He spoke about four freedoms that all people should have. Freedom of speech, freedom of worship, freedom from want, and freedom from fear. And I guess we'd all agree that this morning those are great things, aren't they? But here's the problem. We have freedom of speech in this country. But sin means we cannot control our tongues. And so we regret what we say, and we hurt people with our words. We have freedom of worship in this country, but sin means that we can't love God's with our whole hearts. We're too interested in loving ourselves. We have freedom from want in this country, but sin means we're never content with what we have. We're enslaved to the desire for more. More stuff, or newer stuff, or more friends, or nicer friends. We have freedom from fear in this country, but sin means we don't have peace. Neither peace in our conscience, neither, neither peace in terms of fear from what others think of us. We spend our days often very troubled, sometimes upset, anxious by what we've done to others and, and what they've done to us. We're slaves because of sin. And all, by the way, you have to do to prove that you're not a slave to sin is, is pull off the next week, not doing anything you regret, and, and come, back, come back next Sunday and let, let me know how it went. And Jesus says, I can change all that. I can change all that. Verse 35. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I'm the son, says Jesus, and I've, I've never sinned. And therefore, through my sin-bearing death, I will bring you permanently into God's family. That's freedom. That actually, my status as a child of God doesn't depend on my performance. It depends on what Jesus did for me. I therefore get up each morning totally secure that I'm right with God and loved by Him. That's freedom. And the world says freedom is you doing what you want when you want. That's to be free. And the Bible says no, freedom is knowing that you are so loved by God despite all you've done to offend Him that He's never going to let you go and you can live out a life within that love. Now, imagine you go to a friend's house and they've got you know, one of those traditional goldfish bowls and it's a goldfish and it's swimming around quite happily when suddenly it leaps clean out of the water and you're pretty sure you'll hear a squeaky voice going, I'm free! As it lands, splat on the table. And there it flaps around, crying to itself, I'm free, I'm free! The constraints of water are no more! I can go anywhere, I can do anything! But after a short while, it starts to flap a little less and less. And then it stops moving completely. It might think it's free, but it's just dying. And so much of life we spend thinking we're free. But, but actually, what does life feel like? Doesn't it feel like flapping around a lot, repeating the mantra to yourself that you're having a good time? where in the end, the only guarantee is you're one day closer to your death today than you were yesterday. Isn't that what life feels like? It? So much energy poured in to flapping around. 
And God says, no, I've sent my son that you can have something better, something beautiful, to live life forever in, in relationship with me, and enjoying that is true freedom. It's not about what family you're brought up in or, or what culture you're brought up in. It's about your attitude to Jesus. And the very people Jesus is talking to in John 8, they are the people who have God's promises. Makes no difference to them. Doesn't matter if you grew up in the Roman Catholic Church, if you grew up in the Church of England, or if you grew up in Chessington Evangelical Church. It's not about who you are, it's about your attitude to Jesus. That's, that's where freedom comes. That's what Jesus said in verse 42. If God were your father, you would love me. For I've come here from God. I've not come on my own. God sent me. That's what freedom is. Having God as your father. So you love Jesus. Whereas slavery, slavery is rejecting that and, and believing the lies of the devil. It's outrageous what he says, isn't it? Verse 44, you belong to your father, the devil. That's not the way to make friends and influence people. If someone over coffee came and said to you, you belong to the devil, I expect you'd be a bit upset. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. See, right from the beginning of the Bible, the devil has, has peddled lies. Lie one, freedom is in rejecting God. Do what you want, it will really work. Have a look at human history. Lie two, there are no consequences for disobeying God. You will not die. Have a look at human history. And the first people believed him and obeyed, and sin and death have ruled humanity ever since. So let me end by saying, are you, are you a slave? Or are you free this morning? And the difference is your attitude to Jesus. I expect a lot of us here who, who are Christians, who'd say we're following Jesus Christ, we don't feel like the Christian life is freedom. Is that you today? It's me a lot of the time. And I wonder if that's because, as Jesus says in verse 31, we don't hold to his teaching here. You see, his teaching in this chapter is that that without him, we are utterly lost. We are incapable of doing anything about it. We are enslaved to our own selfishness and our own sin. And when we lose sight of that teaching, that we're utterly dependent on Christ Jesus for everything, do you know what we become? We become like these Pharisees. We become self-righteous. And we can tell when we're self-righteous because we're slow to say sorry and we're slow to forgive others and we're quick to defend ourselves. Every time over the next 24 hours, you find yourself justifying yourself, you're denying the truth that Jesus says here. That without him, you're just a slave to sin. And I promise you, the more you justify yourself, the less you will love Jesus. It might be that... that we do think we love him, but we know he's made us a child of God, but, but the question is, do we want to live for him? Do we want to please him? Or actually, are we, are we taking on board the lies of the devil too much? Do, do we listen to his lie that, that living for yourself is better than living for Jesus? And the danger of lies like that is they can lead us away from Christ and we can even begin to con ourselves about who we really are. 
Do you see how Jesus ended our reading in verse 47? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. You see, you might not be holding to his teaching because you're being self-righteous, but you might not be holding his, to his teaching because you're just not listening to his word. And those are serious things. And I want to say sorry to, to anyone here who's not yet a Christian. Because I think those of us who are Christians, we often fail to show you that we believe Jesus is all we have, that we believe Jesus is all we are, that he is our only hope before God, that he is our first love, that he is the one who sets us free. And if you're not yet a Christian, I guess there are three ways you could respond to, to what Jesus has said this morning. I mean, you could be like the Jewish religious leaders, first of all. What they do is they're so outraged by this man who tells them they're slaves to sin that because he claims to be God, at the end of the chapter, they pick up rocks to cave his head in. They want to kill him. Now, I think you're probably too polite to do that to me afterwards. I will be in the FYI area if you want to attempt it. But, but please don't kill off Jesus in your life. But please listen to the reality of what he says and investigate him. Because that's the second thing you could do. And we'd love you to, to take one of these copies of John's Gospel. It's, it's what we've been looking at this morning, this account of Jesus' life. We'd love you to, to turn up at church here week by week. We just open up the Bible like this and look at what Jesus says. We'd love you to talk to a Christian friend about what they believe to investigate the one who promises out of love to set you free. But, but maybe this morning, maybe you've heard enough. Maybe that you're here and you know you're a slave to sin. Maybe you know you've not loved God as you should, and you know you've not loved people as you should, even the people who love you dearly. And you recognize for years you've tried and there's nothing you can do about it, however hard however much effort you put in, and you want to come to Jesus, and you want to accept the freedom he offers. And doing that is just talking to him about it. Like any relationship restoration, it's about talking to the one you've offended and accepting his forgiving love in return. So I'm going to close. I'm going to close with a prayer. It's a prayer that's going to appear on the screen. If we can just put that up, Aggie. And um, I'm going to suggest anyone who's here who'd like to pray this prayer, whether you've been following Jesus for 50 years or for five minutes, praise it with me. Um, I'm going to leave it there for a second so we can look at it in the quiet. I don't want you to pray anything that you're not sure about. So just have a read of that. And then we'll pray this prayer. It's a prayer that can set you free. It's a prayer that if you are free in Christ, you need to pray daily to acknowledge that He is the only one who can set you free. A moment's quiet, and then let's pray this prayer together. Pray together. Father God, I am sorry that I have sinned. I have not loved you or other people as I should. I have lived for myself and deserve to be condemned. I admit I am a slave to sin. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to set me free. Thank you that he died in my place at the cross, bearing my sin and taking my punishment. 
Please help me to hold to his word and to follow Jesus now and forever as a child of God, secure in your love. Amen.